The bandwidth for this episode of the AR-15 Podcast is sponsored by the Firearms Radio Network, firearmsradio.tv. Welcome to episode number 107 of the AR-15 Podcast. I'm your host, Reed Snyder, and once again, tonight I am flying solo. This is the podcast about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you whether you're building your first AR or you've been building ARs for years. There's something we can all do to take our black rifle to the next level. So tonight, we are just days away from SHOT. So SHOT Show 2015 is going to be starting up uh, in full force on the 20th. Of course, Media Day at the Range on the 19th. We are all still getting our schedules worked out, so we anticipate a great showing from the Firearms Radio Network out there in Las Vegas this year. But as we sit here tonight, we have not firmed up all of the arrangements. I know that JW is going to be out there with me, so we are going to get a chance to double up on our efforts from last year when Steve and I had an opportunity to uh, tour a lot of the booths and uh, try to find some opportunities to make some connections for the show. So uh, hopefully three heads will be better than two. So uh, before we get going too far, I want to remind you all that it's Brownells that helps make this show possible. So we want to remind you not to forget that Brownells, with their 100% lifetime satisfaction guarantee, is there for you anytime you have a problem, like when you can't remove the taper pins from your new barrel to slip off the front side base and you now have to find a new barrel. So head on over to AR15Podcast.com forward slash parts when you want to shop for your AR15 parts, and that will help you help us make this show a little better with a little bit of... uh compensation for that link through to Brownells. So I want to start off uh, tonight with one quick announcement. It's not a product of the week. It is going to be our SHOT Show announcement for the week. So the listener meet and greet is on. So it's going to be Tuesday night, January 20th in Las Vegas. Further details will be announced. We will probably be throwing them up on our Facebook page, and we will try to cover them in next week's show. So, hopefully, uh, we'll have enough opportunities for you guys to uh, get in there and figure out what's going on. But with that, I want to go ahead and, uh, I guess, introduce you to tonight's episode. Um, Steve, our uh, law enforcement officer here in Texas, and uh, I guess uh, Director of Marketing uh, had an opportunity to go out and, uh, with myself, uh, talk to uh, Stacy Nagel from Primary Weapons System, also known as PWS, uh, a fine manufacturer of AR-15 parts as well as uh, complete rifles and uppers. Uh, PWS has really kind of piqued our interest. We had an opportunity to see them at SHOT last year. We've interviewed them earlier in the year. And so Stacy's come back to give us some uh, heads up on some of their other products they've got in the lineup. So with that, we are going to take a small break, and then uh, when we come back, it'll be Steve and myself in a pre-recorded interview with PWS, and uh, we'll get started here in just a minute.
Well, welcome to the show, everybody. We have joining us today uh, with myself and Reed Snyder, we have Stacy Nagy from Primary Weapon Systems. How are you doing today, Stacy? I'm great. How is Steve and Reed today? Oh, we're doing great. Excellent. So, Stacy, thanks for joining us. Uh, some of our listeners may remember our conversation with you several months back, uh, kind of about primary weapons uh, systems in general. Um, h- how are things going there at uh, at PWS? We had uh, surprisingly a very good summer. It was uh, it was you know not not super high in the black, but we weren't in the red either. So we we maintained through the summer months where you know if you've been paying attention to the industry, a lot of companies have been. Uh, flailing and floundering with the, uh, with the market, uh, correction that took place this last year. And we've been, uh, fortunate enough to, uh, to just keep the boat sailing steady and smooth. And now that we're in the, uh, in the fall season again, we actually find ourselves, uh, negative in quantity on a lot of our, a lot of our products that we, uh, that we build in the highest quantities we produce. So it's actually been a very, a very busy fall season for us so far headed into the show season here. Well, that's good. Pretty good news. Yeah, definitely. How are uh, how are things coming in development? I know uh, last time that uh, Reed spoke with you guys, you you guys had some things in development. I think we're going to speak about a couple of those things today. You guys have uh, anything coming out in the near future, or is what we're talking about today uh, kind of where we're at right now? Uh, we do have uh, stuff in the future. Some I can discuss, some I can't. We do have uh, uh, some new products that have come out recently. Um, either a rejuvenation of previous products from years past or, or whole new platforms. Um, one of the rejuvenation items is the 762x39 line that we just started shipping in uh, May, June, and July, and then we just did another run that we're actually starting to ship to our dealers now, and that is a 7-inch 762x39 and 16-inch 762x39 Mark One Mod 1 up a half, and uh, a great round. I mean, everybody knows the AK round. Um, also, anybody that's been real heavily involved with the ARs knows of the magazine issues that have kind of plagued the AR platform in that caliber for the last uh, uh, t- 10 years or so. And we're happy to say that uh, uh, both companies are pretty good, but one of them has it dialed. And and I would say that that's uh, uh, C products right now with their uh, uh, melanide body and Wolf Extra Power Spring. And we've just had excellent results with uh, with that magazine with these these uh, latest produced versions of our upper half and um on the consumer side i've had you know none of our customers have been calling in with uh with the the feeding issues that they've encountered with with previous generations amazing so it's actually been really great huge product in the south uh especially texas with the the hog predation hunts that go on and i mean that's a perfect round for that kind of use as far as the ballistic performance and also just cost effectiveness and availability is excellent so so we've been shipping a lot of them down there and and the country in general and uh um everybody knows us for that that push rod long stroke design that's in the Mark 1 and Mark 2 series but what we want to do this last year is have a larger presence in the market and you know the piston market when you break it down is on a bad day 15% on a really good day 20% of the market for the AR15 uh consumer out there and so we wanted to take what folks love about the piston guns that we can the barrel quality the accuracy the fit and finish of our builds, the handguard features, you know, just those those basic ergonomic and and core function and performance features that everybody loves and transfer them into a DI line. Right. So we have a full direct impingement line of rifles now that we debuted in late May, early June, and they've been doing 
very well, uh, even with the market where it's at. You know, there's a lot of a lot of black rifle inventory out there, but uh, folks have been have been really latching onto the modern musket line because they they know that it has the core features that they love about their PWS rifle, just without the uh, uh, extra components and costs that the that the piston design has over the DI design. So so now we make it in both flavors. We make the you know the modern musket and the Mark One and the Mark Two and now the we feel that we are doing a better job of serving the entire AR community instead of just uh, just the guy that wants to, the guy or gal that wants the piston driven rifles, uppers, or pistols. So so let's let's break it down a little bit into some of the basics for uh, some of our listeners that may not be familiar with the key differences between um, direct impingement, a short stroke piston, a long stroke piston, kind of the advantages of each. So. I think everyone has a good understanding of what direct impingement gas system is. It's traditional AR-15 or AR-10 line. Um, can you explain to us the, the obviously you guys um, are key into the long stroke piston market. Now there's also short stroke pistons out there. Can you t- kind of tell us the differences between the two and what the advantages of a long stroke over a short stroke are? Absolutely. The uh, The real basic definition of a, of a short stroke versus a long stroke is is literally the math of the piston diameter versus the length of travel that the piston travels under pressure. So a long stroke obviously has a uh, larger ratio of difference between the diameter of the piston and how far it travels under pressure. A short stroke is under pressure for a very short amount of time, so it has to deliver all of that energy needed to cycle a carrier in a very fast, quick movement. The pushrod long stroke, on the other hand, it has much more dwell time. The gases are expanding. They're slowing down as that piston is pushed rearward. So by the time the gases vent, instead of being a violent expulsion like it is with a piston gun, it's more of a, a relatively, it's it's a, a gentle puff out of the gun. So with with lot of short stroke guns on on camera, high speed footage, that kind of thing, you'll see you'll see a lot of puffing of gas in front of the in front of the gas block where it vents or behind the gas block, depending on the model. With ours, you really don't see that puff gas because one, it's taking under place under the handguard, but also the force and speed that that gas is leaving the rifle is much less. And, and you can see that in the amount of powder or not powder, but you can see that in the amount of gas leaving the gun is just a, it's a much lower intensity puff of gas. So that's, that's one of the benefits is just the, the different exhausting, which with suppressed use is a huge factor, especially now that suppressors are becoming more and more of a, a mainstream product instead of a very small niche product. And, also, what it helps with is the movement of the action. With the short, very violent movement, that carrier is sustaining forces and then beginning its onset of motion. With the push drive long stroke, once again, it's a push. So you're not you're not smacking the carrier back; you're just pushing it back. So a lot of users, when they try our weapon for the first time, they are very amazed because a lot of them, you know, they're going from HK416 or or another brand of piston rifle out there uh, in an AR platform, and and they notice that the PWS seems to have a lot less recoil impulse. Uh, a lot of times we're compared to a DI gun for recoil impulse. And I think that that is everything to do with the piston, uh, the long stroke piston driven design versus versus the short stroke. The other benefit is there's only one point of disassembly on our firearms. You take out the carrier. You do not have to disassemble your handguard. You do not have to disassemble the gas block. Those are not required maintenance items. You just take the carrier out from the rear. The piston's attached. Cleaner boring chamber, cleaner piston tube, uh, and that's a that's a minimal requirement as well. It's a periodic requirement instead of a every maintenance cycle uh, as far as the piston tube goes. So it's it's literally a 15 to 20 minute process to clean a gun that's had you know 
thousand plus rounds put through it in a weekend uh, over a course of a carving course or a couple competitions. Right. Yeah, you know, there seems to be quite an expansion of the suppressor market lately. Um, I think they're becoming more and more common, especially as the times, the approval times for Form 4s with ATF decrease. And that's what really um, drew me to the PWS line is the fact that I'm in the process of building an SBR right now. And there's going to be, once I throw a suppressor on there, there's going to be a lot of unburnt um powder and a lot of gases that make their way back to the bolt and the bolt carrier area. And I think, you know, with a, with a piston system, it, it keeps uh, all of that out of there, you know, it, 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 and I think that's one of the key things that drew me to it. So. Well, that, and you didn't want me to build it for you. Yes. <laughs> so. Sorry, <laughs> Reed's always got to get something in every now and then. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like there's a hidden story about a past build in there. <laughs> well, you know, the uh, the ATF lead times on the SBRs have come down substantially. and so um, um, on, I would say on Form 1s, yes. On yeah. Form 1 and lower, it's actually really quick. Uh, my Form 3s, I can't brag about yet, really. Uh, <laughs> there's been a little bit of improvement, but we're, we're still, you know, if somebody calls up and orders an SBR right now, as a dealer, uh, we're still at about 120 days on a Form Three. It's uh, it's getting better, but you know, still kind of a, kind of a drag. Well, that's because there's so many of you guys in the field. You need to edge out all your competition with this quality gear you guys make. <laughs> Maybe by next summer, you'll be the only one standing, right? Well, I don't know if that's the case, but uh, but I'm I'm definitely happy with the direction we're headed, and it's not uh, it's up the hill, it's not down the hill. Well. So in any case, Steve got his uh, pretty quick, and we we're comparing notes on how we wanted to put our builds together. And Steve is raising his eyebrows every time at me when I'm like, "Yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that." He's like, uh, "I'm just going to go to PWS." Thanks. <laughs> well, we appreciate that vote of confidence for sure. Definitely. Uh, so, so Reed, you want to talk about the um, uh, their their new. Um, their new Mark uh, 212 SD. You want to talk a little bit about that? I think so. I mean, we've gone over here into your uh, lineup and taken a look at this. And, you know, I, I'm convinced that we are going to see a little more 308 activity this year um, than we did last year. Um, I think the year before there was a lot more, but I guess I haven't quite figured out what the – you know, who it is that puts their finger on what pulse and determines what's going to be hot, but it seems to me that this may very well be what's going to be the uh, end thing this year. But So tell me a little bit about um, how you go from having a standard 308 in your Mark 212 to basically having a suppressed 308 with your long stroke and all the considerations that you guys have to really balance in that maneuver. Absolutely. I mean, really the biggest difference is length of gas system and also the gas port dimensions. You know, the, the standard Mark 212 is a great suppressor host, especially if you want to run the gun suppressed or unsuppressed. It's, it's built for that. It's got the gas adjustments for that, but no matter what, you know, it's a little bit shorter gas length system. It's, it's a, it's a carbon length gas system for, a 308, and as a result, tire pressure cans on the market, especially with full power power ammo, you're never going to be able to adjust that gas low enough without having this massive gas block and massive knob with you know 
eight adjustments on it to be able to accomplish that. So we've got a four four position adjustable gas block, and you know it, you wouldn't think about that, but yeah, the the size of your gas block actually limits how many adjustments you can have on that knob if it's a rotary knob. Right. So there, it's not just a, a matter of if you can build it, you can. It's actually you know do the physical dimensions of the firearm and your components allow for it. So that's why we have the four four position gas adjustment. So with some of the smaller cans on the market, with some of the hotter ammo, it's still going to be a fairly punchy gun even on the lowest suppressed setting. So we want to make a gun that's just an absolute pleasure to shoot, suppressed, dedicated, and still have that very compact Mark 212 uh, configuration that that is a really stellar zero to 600 yard gun as for, in terms of max effective range. You can stretch it off further than that as far as getting hits on target, but you know for max effective range we call it a 600 yard weapon. And um, there's actually a recent article in uh, in uh, a major publication that the author got some amazing groups out of that rifle, the 212 SD. And so that's what we, you know, we always feel that the barrel is the core of the gun. Your gun's only going to be as good as the barrel is. So we try to start with a, a just a very, very accurate proven barrel with a profile that is as light as it can be without sacrificing performance. So, so we're never going to put out a heavy, a, a heavy barrel gun because we don't want our gun to be front heavy. Right. Um, but we are going to put out the correct profile for maintaining accuracy from shot to shot and not sacrificing accuracy in, in the name of weight savings. That being said, you know, we've got one of the lightest 308s on the market. We've got a Mark 212 standard that's 8 pounds, 6 ounces. And then with the SD, we do have a little bit different barrel profile because of length of gas system. And it weighs in at 8 pounds, 13 ounces. And we we just wanted to make a rifle that is just amazing to shoot. And the 212 SD is it. You put your can on of choice. Any any good quality 308 can will do. And load it up, sight it in. And uh, you're going to be amazed at the recoil impulse on that rifle because of the, the specific gas porting and gas length that we have on it. Now, so I guess that bears a, a, a clarification or distinction in as much as it's a rifle with a 12.75 inch barrel, it is going to require ATF approval for the SBR. Unless you permanently pin the suppressor on. Right. So yep. instead of it being a two stamp item, do you or will you sell it as a single stamp item? There's no plans for that at this time. Um, we just haven't haven't had enough consumer demand for it. And that actually, it, it's kind of funny. The the stamp is almost becoming kind of a feature of someone's collection. And you know, it's funny. I see a lot of stuff about two stamps now. It's like, oh, it's a two stamper. Um, you know, like you just mentioned, it almost seems like that there's a certain segment of the market that they want the extra stamps <laughs> as kind of a, you know, I don't know if you could say it's a status symbol, but you know, the, the NFA stamp collecting seems to be, seems to be kind of entering the realm of, uh, of status symbol for the American gun owner. Well, you know, it's it's a, slightly addicting. It's a badge of honor. <laughs> it's a rite of passage to have uh, withstood the scrutiny, right? Exactly. So now go ahead, Steve. Uh, real quick, Stacy, is is the 212 SD is that much like your other things that you manufacture? Do you do everything in house, or are there certain things you've just found it easier or better to to sub out or have somebody else do for you? Um, we make as much of the gun under our roof as we can. It, okay. It's been steadily increasing in that regard ever since we first started producing rifles in 2010. Um, there's times where you have to farm stuff out because of you know, machine time and other production, production variables. But, you know, as far as QC control and that kind of thing, it's, it's usually much better if you can control 
everything that goes on with the manufacturing of the firearm. We don't make our own barrel blank, but we profile and chamber our barrels from the blanks that we acquire. Um, you know, the receivers are, are, are forging for the Mark II. Uh, we get them from a very large supply house and, but there are, there actually are pattern of forging that we, that we specified and, and then we machine the receivers in house. Um, all the internals are us except for the, you know, standard pins, pins, springs and screws that are common to the AR line. We use ALG QMS triggers as standard. And then of course to make pull furniture, but, uh, you know, really the only items we don't produce in the house are the, the pins, springs and screws in the firing group, the sights, the charging handle, and then the blank itself. And then the furniture, everything else is a, is a PWS manufactured item. Okay. And w- what type of uh, rifling process is used for the barrels that you guys, uh, well, we're, we're actually, we're actually doing, uh, the majority of which is, is button bore. It's a button bore barrel. Um, we're doing some on a limited basis of, uh, cut bore, uh, barrels from Bartline. So we're actually, we're actually this coming calendar year, we will be offering a Bartline barrel blank in 223 or, uh, 30 cal, whether it's a Mark 1 or, or a Mark 2 as an additional upgrade coupled with a Geissele, uh, super dynamic enhanced trigger. So that package is available as an upgrade to any existing Mark 1 or Mark 2 rifle. And basically that's, that's the gun that has the accuracy guarantee. If you if you require a a uh, uh, you know 0.5 MOA accuracy degree on on a certain rifle, then then that's the barrel that's going to get it for you. Uh, that being said, I have users report all the time that they're getting submitted groups with the the standard barrel, and and that's a, a Kamali blank that we turn a profile in house, send it out for ice night. You've got a 64 to 68 Rockwell hardness in the bore in the exterior, and you know, conservative bore life on a, on a two to three barrel is 18,000 rounds. We've got users that are either close to eclipsing 30K or over 30K and are still reporting, uh, with heavy match grade ammo, um, one minute of angle with a barrel that is technically shot out by our standards. And that's, that's the beauty of the ice night is it's, it, it's a surface conversion. It's not a plating or a coating. So as erosion occurs, you're not losing the integrity of that bore surface where you can with chrome. Eventually, you can erode chrome to the point where it starts flaking off. And with ice night, melanite, and the other similar processes, it never occurs. Gotcha. Okay. Do you see the industry heading to wide-scale adoption of that process? I mean, in, in I various are, other parts aside from barrels as well? Um, some other parts. I mean, really, it's it's the applications or anything that sees a lot of friction. So, yeah, we in the past, we've used ice night on our carriers. Uh, currently we do nickel Teflon just because it's got a little bit more of an aesthetic appeal to folks and, and right in the showroom as they're working the action, it feels, it feels broken in already. So that's kind of the benefit of the nickel Teflon versus the ice night. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, to me, it's almost kind of amazing that it's taken this long for it to catch on because these, these kinds of processes have been in the automotive and motorcycle industries for decades now. And now they're, they're just now starting to come into the, uh, the firearms industry in the last, the last six or seven years, but it's definitely, definitely an improvement as far as the, the, uh, hardness of the surface, the lubricity of the surface and the, the fact that you just don't have to use as much oil, you know, with, with magnesium phosphated surfaces, you know, park standard old fashioned park raising, you know, you literally have to coat it in grease to get that really, really smooth action just because of the, the surface of the material. And, and with, uh, with these newer surface conversions and coatings, it's just uh, a lot, a lot easier to use less lubrication. Right, right. So, um, Steve, do you have any other questions about that? 
No, I, you know, I, I hate to get a little technical on you there, Stacey, but, you know, we have a whole wide range of folks that listen to the show, and I know Reed is big into uh, knowing what types of rifling goes where. So it's always, it's always neat to hear uh, manufacturers' um, take on why they go certain ways. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, uh, uh, it's interesting to hear that, you know, and, and especially um, the fact that you can upgrade from, from what standard if you want to be able to really get your groups down in size that you guys will have uh, the ability to upgrade, uh, you know, in the, in the near future. Absolutely. And our, our target goal has always been one MOA for our standard barrels. You know, if, if the gun can do one MOA with some decent ammo, a decent optic and a decent shooter, then, then that's our goal. And we've, we've been able to hit that goal so reliably that, you know, a lot of our customer base actually report better than, better than one MOA for accuracy with, uh, with that heavier match grade ammo. The twist rates that we use are kind of biased towards heavier ammo, uh, in the 308, 100, 168 grain, 175, and 180 seem to be the best. And then in the 223 barrels, um, you know, 64 grain gold dot, uh, 75 grain Hornady, 77 grain Black Hills, you know, those, those kinds of loads from not just those manufacturers, but others making similar products, uh, seem to work extremely well for getting that, getting that repeatable accuracy. Do you guys find any need to do something similar in your Mark One line, or is the fact that it, it's it's a lot easier to adjust the the gas system for a suppressor that you don't even have to have anything dedicated to suppression? I think just I think just due to the nature of the five five six round, our our gas adjustment system has more impact on on the recoil impulse from that round than it than it can with three hundred eight in such a short platform. And so, so typically it's, it's plenty good at getting the recoil impulse down to where folks are just extremely pleased with it. And I rarely, rarely ever hear of someone saying that uh, they feel it's a little bit on the punchy side. Most folks actually say the opposite, that it's one of the lightest recoiling rifles they've ever owned. Uh, especially, I hear that a lot, especially with the 10.75 inch Mark 110 and the, the 12.75 inch Mark 12. Those are both uh, uppers and rifles that I, Short-barreled rifles that I hear folks say are uh, uh, consistently one of the lightest recoiling rifles they've ever ran. Now, okay. what about when you convert over to the 300 blackout calibers on that uh, Mark One line? Are you uh, seeing the same results, even though you've got a, I guess a, a different cartridge design philosophy in the 300 blackout? It is. It's it's literally apples and oranges between the two with with in regard to two two three three oh eight versus three hundred blackout. Um three hundred blackout spans such a wide range of, of bullet weights that on one end of the spectrum you almost have a round that behaves a little bit more like forty five auto with a better ballistic coefficient versus the lighter bullets in the one ten to one thirty grain range that are very much like seven sixty two by thirty nine. Right. So two two very completely opposite realms of uh of uh, uh function and, and performance. And then you have in the middle where, you know, to our frustration I'm sure I'm sure AACs um you know, when AAC spec'd out the three hundred blackout round, they put out a SAMI spec for one ten to one thirty grain and mm-hmm. one seventy five to two twenty. But because of component availability, folks started loading a lot of one forty seven grain and one fifty grain because the bullets were, were available and, and able to be used to in the manufacture of their ammunition. Uh, to my knowledge, from, from the research I've done, that load is not te- technically a SAMI spec load. And the gassing characteristics make it really tough 
to produce a gun that will function reliably with that round without a suppressor because it, it behaves a little bit more like the subsonic in terms of gassing. So what we've done in our research and development of the, the Mark I in 300 black, and we, we do a 9.75 inch, 12.75 inch, and a 16 inch, what we've done is we've basically just stuck to the SAMI spec and the guns are produced to run with the 110 to 130 grain unsuppressed and then with a suppressor, anything above that. So with a suppressor, you shouldn't have any issues with 147 grain all the way up to 220. Uh, but as a result of this much lower pressure curve, the gas adjustments are pretty much inconsequential. I mean, they're there on the 12 and the 16. They're not there on the 9 because they're just, they're just flat not needed. Right. We have yet to find a ammunition and suppressor combination with the 9 that requires any kind of decrease of gas. So what's nice about that is you can have multiple magazines loaded with lighter bullets and heavier bullets, and you'd have, you don't have to make any, any adjustments to the firearm. You can just swap your, swap your next magazine and go from shooting full power at, uh, you know, 350, 400 yards to subsonics at, at zero to 200 yards. And, and you've got the, uh, you've got the gun running the same no matter what. Now on that shorter barreled 300 blackout upper, are you guys running a pistol length gas system and a, uh, uh, quicker twist rate, like a one in seven versus a one in eight. We're actually doing a one in eight twist rate. We've had phenomenal results with the one in eight. I've actually had multiple users reporting some minute with subsonic ammo, uh, two twenty grain out of that twist rate. So I know it's not against the in- I know it's against the industry uh, standard, so to speak, right now of a one in seven. But we're we're seeing good results with the one in eight, so we're sticking with it. Right. As far as um, as far as the other question. Could you repeat that one more time for me? Uh, did you move down to a pistol length um, system? Yes. Yeah. All all of our 300 blackout models have a pistol length gas system, just like our seven inch 223 model has the same gas system. Now on the 223, I, I've always heard that under a given barrel length, you haven't had enough of an opportunity to burn off all of your propellant. Um, is, is that something that you guys um, have wrestled with or is that just kind of uh, once again internet folklore kind of uh, territory i think there is a lot of unspent powder that comes out of the bore but as far as it causing issues we we haven't seen that uh, we haven't seen it with enclosed muzzle devices we haven't really seen it with suppressed use um, there's not that many suppressor companies that will actually warranty their suppressor on a you know less than 10.5 inch Firearm, but uh, the few out there that do, we've uh, tested extensively with their with their suppressors, and um, you know, overall the the overall behavior and performance and maintenance requirement of the weapon has been has been very good. Right. It uh, it doesn't it doesn't turn into a problem just because you put a suppressor on the end of a seven inch gun. Um, unspent power wise, I think certain powders you'll have much more flash signature than others. Uh, when that you know some of that unspent powder might ignite as it's leaving the bore. Um, you know, we, we have some mil spec ammo that just looks like a nuclear bomb going off. And then, <laughs> and then there's other ammo types that, that don't put out nearly as much signature. Um, and even still in that mil spec range. So really, it's really interesting how the flash inhibitors work amongst the different, uh, the different powder manufacturers out there, uh, in regards to such a short barrel gun. Right. Well, so if you were going to recommend to somebody an ideal length for a 223 in an SBR, configuration uh and uh the same uh for a 300 blackout uh are they 
once again an apples and oranges, each being independent to the caliber, or is there like a, a happy medium where all of the numbers converge and and there is the one golden standard that you can say, yes, this is where you need to be? I think it's dictated more by just the overall length of the firearm than anything, in my in my humble opinion. I think that uh, somewhere around the 8.5 to 10.5 ranges typically where people want to be with the suppressor attached uh, as far as the overall length of the firearm. Um, Performance-wise, you know, with, with our Mark One line, whether it's a 7, a 10, a 12, you know, performance-wise, you're you're going to be very happy. The difference is the, the max effective range based on the velocity of the firearm. Right. Um, and that's a big consideration with, with 223 firearms because there is such a massive difference. 300 black and 762 by 39, not so much. You go from a 16 all the way down to a 7 and 762 by 39, you are only losing 400 feet per second. That's not Take a, that versus, Yeah, it's not a lot. Take that versus uh, a 223 firearm, and it's almost 800 to 850 feet per second. So it's a massive difference. Um, 300 blackout, on the other hand, you know, from from everything said about that round, it's it's designed to uh, you know consume as much of the powder as possible in in a you know a 10 inch barrel basically. So we do a 9.75. Um, once again, I think that depends on the ammo because I've right. seen I've seen some 300 blackout that is very dirty and there's a lot of unspent powder left in the gun afterwards, and then I've seen others where where it's not as much. So I think it just depends. But uh, um, you know, personally, my my preference for SBRs is is somewhere in the in the 10.5 range or the 9.75 in the 300 blackout, just because you know that that overall length of that package is is kind of where where I like to be. So that's kind of like the Goldilocks region, right? Not too short, yeah. not too long. It's just right. <laughs> exactly, and and on a five five six weapon, you're still you're still dealing with the max effective range in the the three hundred fifty to four hundred yard range, depending on your on your round of choice. So you know that's a that's a great uh, great hog distance right there. Well, absolutely. So let's speak to our traditionalists a little bit um, with your modern musket series. It, that it seems like you guys have gone to the um, a direct impingement line where there's no pistons involved. It's just your traditional AR-15. What drove you guys to do that, and what sets you apart from any of the other things that some of our listeners may come across to in the market? Um, as far as what drove us that direction, it's uh, pretty simple. We want to sell more guns. <laughs> we, uh, we want we want PWS to be a household name one day. You know, just like uh, uh, just like Bushmaster and and Colt and you know the other other bigger companies out there. And and you know we felt that a DI line was uh, as an AR maker was one of the best steps we could take to go that direction is to uh, to just have that broader that broader market appeal to uh, to the line share of the market that either hasn't learned why they want a piston gun yet or uh, or they just flat don't feel the need for one and that's and that's awesome we want to uh, we want to service both kinds of customer and and you know in addition to our bread and butter customer who is the the hard use high volume shooter that you know they they don't buy ammo by the box they buy it by the case and that's kind of you know, that's kind of who our piston gun was designed for. Uh, and then we want to reach the beginning AR shooters who are looking for the rifle that has every single feature they want without having to go out and buy $800 worth of handguard barrel. And, you know, taking, you know, our whole, our whole design ethos was with the modern musket was, you know, get the gun you want right away instead of having to, uh, go buy another brand and, and then do your own home build of replacing parts that, that aren't quite where they should be. So that's that's kind of the idea behind it. Right. It, uh, a 
turnkey package for shooters of all skill levels. Well, you know, I think that, that it's always nice when you see a manufacturer who's actually going to go in and put some thought to it, you know, rather than, you know, cobble the accessories of the day to make it look like, uh, you know, everybody else's, uh, uh, what they're told they want to, to actually go out and try to assemble something based on, uh, you know, that the idea of an ethos. Here's what we want to build and we're going to give it to you. And I think that that really takes that extra step of involvement on your part, which means that the consumer gets something a little better than what marketing decides they need. Absolutely. That's always kind of been our, our rubric is what do we want to see when we open that case as a, as a customer? What rifle do we want to pick up and hold in our hands? And that's kind of guided our, our design process and, and product improvement process from the get-go. Now, we've helped lead a lot of our listeners into building their own types of rifles. So I know we've heard from, from a whole lot of listeners who have gone out, purchased their lower, put together the lower parts kit they want and done all of that. Are you guys making just the uppers and the modern musket available in case they want to go that route? So there's still a sense of, um, do it yourself, but there's also a sense that there's, some really high quality parts, uh, parts on there? Absolutely. I mean, really the modern musket line, you can almost break it down component by component and it's available as its own item in our product line. Uh, the barrels, the hand guards, the, uh, uh, the buffer tubes that we've always been famous for since 2010, the enhanced buffer tube. So, so the key feature items that, that are available on our guns are available as a standalone accessory or component, uh, for someone's home build. We, you know, we, we love the home builder and we definitely want to offer products that not only look interesting and are a nice addition aesthetically to the firearm, but also uh, actually solve problems for the customer. And that's that's what we try to do with our muzzle devices, with our buffer tubes and the other products that we offer. OK. And you want to tell us a little bit about the buffer system? The I mean, I, I've done a lot of research on those, um, but some of our listeners haven't. So. What are the differences in your buffer system and how you guys, um, what, what led you to build that in the first place? Well, the buffer, the buffer system is still a traditional AR-15, every, excuse me, AR-15 buffer assembly, which is just your typical carbine buffer weight and, and spring. Um, what we've done is in the Mark 1 line, we have different buffer weights available depending on your suppressor and ammo combination. If you need to tweak things a little bit. Everything ships with an H2, which nine times out of ten is what you need. And then for that tenth time, there's an H3 buffer weight or an H4 buffer weight available, which the H4 is kind of a dedicated suppressed buffer weight. Um, the buffer tube itself is kind of where we have some interesting features. The the whole idea behind it back in, gosh, I think we designed it back in 2007 or 2008. It was actually part of the original uh, patent submission for our original piston design that uh, – that then evolved into the, the pusher on long stroke. And the whole idea behind that design was to fix everybody else's short stroke gun. Um, with all the talk of carrier tilt that was going on at the time and that kind of thing, we thought, well, if there was a buffer tube that just offered a support chin, that way the tail of your carrier never had a chance to take that little dive and, and impact the lip of the buffer tube as it begins its rear motion. And that's, that was kind of the idea behind it. So it's a one-piece construction. We eliminate the castle nut, so we've got one solid piece of aluminum and then an end plate. And that solid piece of aluminum has QD sling points incorporated into it and three fasteners that install linearly from the rear. And 
what that means is that it's a very solid lockup, but it's also easier for the home builder to install versus a standard a standard tube, which we've all done it. Get your get your your wrench on there, and you're doing your final tightening, and oh look at that, my stock is off about 15 degrees. Then you loosen it again, you get it on there, it's going a little bit the other way. So the enhanced buffer tube solves all that. It goes on straight every single time, and you don't have to tweak it as far as the alignment with the receiver. So it, it's actually a very easy item for the home builder to use. Good. Yeah, I know I've had problems with some of those buffer tubes in the past, and a lot of times I'll just leave it to, well, that's close enough for me. <laughs> and when you're all done, you take your $2,000 rifle and you beat it with a hammer and a punch. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. I can... Reed, you got any, any follow-up questions on that? You know, I'm really kind of interested in what it is that you are trying to accomplish with the buffer tube is this engineered in any way with your spring and with your um, buffer to address any of the failings that we see in a lot of the other uh, di or you know any rifles in general because invariably uh, i will hear people say you know you just need to get a heavier buffer or you need to get this flat coil spring or you need to and it's all buffer related it's not you know you need to change your bolt you need to change your carrier or you know you've got something going on it's always buffer related so what did you guys put into the thinking about your buffer tube and you know your your buffer and your spring that you just aren't going to find in the off the shelf 17 20 30 dollar kit well, I'm, I'm not going to lie. The spring that we use in our production is it's a very vanilla spring. It's it's pretty typical to the rest of the market. Uh, what we found is that a lot of the spring noise that is encountered in the market is due to the interior finish of the tube. And what I mean by finish is the actual metal surface that's left after the machine tools go through and bore it out. Do you have chatter marks? Do you have lines? You know, those, those surface imperfections, when they come into contact with the coils of the spring, generates a lot of noise. And so if you've ever had a rifle that had a lot of zipping in the tube or a lot of spring noise, a lot of it might just be the internal surface and, and how smooth it is. So that was one of the first things that we wanted to address on our tube was make sure that the internal surface is as smooth as possible. And, you know, we actually do uh, a lot of uh, checking of that and if needed, surface honing. Uh, we'll hone the inside of our tubes until they are as smooth as possible. And then they go out for the anodizing process, of course, locally here in, in Boise, Idaho, and uh, get that taken care of. Um, but, you know, as far as noise, that internal surface finishing has been a, a, a big a big item that we found is, is a ter- determining factor in that. Uh, next thing is, uh, as far as what we want to do with the tube was, we just want to make a, a really nice part that, that replaced your QD swivel mounts that you had to buy separately for anywhere from $35 to $75, and then a high-quality mil-spec tube on top of that. So, you know, we've got extra drain holes. If the gun is submerged at any time, you've got four drain holes instead of two. You normally have one at the rear of the tube and then one at the bottom, and ours has bottom, 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 bottom. So there's four drain holes underneath, and that way the water as it flows from the front of the gun to the back of the gun has a lot more places to leave. Um, The... uh, uh, as far as the dynamics of, of the buffer and all that kind of thing, we just want to make a nice buffer weight that has a little bit less contact with the inside of the tube. So 
if you ever have a chance to hold one of our buffer weights, you'll notice that there's there's smaller contact patches on the buffer weight itself where it actually comes into contact with the tube itself. Okay. And less surface area means less friction, less noise, and so that's what we were trying to accomplish with that. You know, I remember a listener once telling us that it was that twangy noise of the spring that let you know that you were shooting an AR. If you got rid of that, you wouldn't know what you were doing. <laughs> that is true. It's uh, it's uh, either either there or it isn't. I've noticed that if it's not there, you don't really notice it's gone. But uh, and then when you do go back to a firearm that has it, it's uh, it's a little bit annoying. Yeah, I, I can tell you that every time I shoot mine, I I can't help but notice when it's there. <laughs> You haven't used any of your white lithium grease on it yet? No, I've got a big old two or tub of that. I, I'm going to have to pull it out at some point. <laughs> so, um, Stacy, when it comes to the line here, is this pretty much the, uh, the full line encompassed in, in what you guys are just really kind of trying to rock and roll with today? Or, or do you think that there's much tweaking that you can make to it? Because you guys have a very, very thorough offering as far as calibers and platforms and you know obviously the the trends and the industry have a an ebb and a flow are you guys seeing anything in the future that you you realize you're going to have to get behind soon or that you're already well i guess if you're already behind that change you're probably not going to tell us about it until a shot show but is there anything that just kind of is in that vein that you guys see but you can talk to us about? Um, well, the, the AR pistols have definitely been a huge thing for us. And, you know, the, definitely the, the trend, the overriding trend with that is the, you know, the arm brace that has become so prevalent in the market. Um, it's, it's phenomenal though. I mean, it, the pistols went from being, gosh, should we make those next month to, oh boy, we can't make enough of them next month. So, you know, it's really, really changed our dynamic as far as, as far as, uh, uh, our AR pistol line is concerned. Um, as far as trends, I mean, let's face it, you know, you've got a product that by and large, half of the buying decision is based on aesthetics. And I think there's a little bit of that, that, I don't know, call it gun world fashion sense at play there, where I think we're going to see things that two years ago were lame and 10 years ago were, were was cool. I think we're going to start to see some of that come back. Um, oh, so it's like bell bottoms, right? Well, take, take hand guards. Yeah, bell bottoms are a perfect example. Take handguards, though. Um, you know, when I first got into the gun industry back in the early 2000s, uh, a you know, two-inch diameter quadrail handguard, you know, two-inch inner diameter. So, you know, outer diameter, you were getting close to three and a half, four inches in some cases. So you got this four-inch wide quadrail handguard on the gun. And for almost 12 years, that was the industry standard. Now we're getting to the point where everybody's got a slimline handguard now, but now everybody wants to put a suppressor under that handguard. And if you can fit it under the thin handguards that are out there, you find out really fast that, oh, gosh, that's hot. And so I think you're going to start to see bigger handguards again. That's my that's my theory is we're going to see bigger handguards again to allow for cooling of knitted suppressors, which, uh, I don't know, I better keep firearms away from my desk if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> that's for, forever. You know, we were asked for about three years. You know, when are you guys going to do a slimline handguard? When are you going to do a slimline handguard? Uh, the key mod design came out. We were lucky to be one of the first four manufacturers to have access to the key mod schematic and actually be able to incorporate it into a handguard design. And so we came out with it in the first quarter of 2013. 
And and since then, I've had folks ask, you know, how come you guys don't do a quad rail anymore? Or uh, or you know, I want to put a suppressor down inside of it. And you know, there's just there's only so much um, so much pleasing you can do with a given design. You know, we wanted to make it as narrow as possible, and so we've got a 1.3 inch inner diameter, which most suppressors are 1.5 inch, so that's a no go. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 kind of funny because now the people that have gotten the handguard over the suppressor finding out that you know you put 60 rounds to it and you've got a 900 degree branding iron sitting underneath your handguard and uh you know gloves are required <laughs> oh absolutely now yeah tell me, just Casey. start making a key mod attachment for a a battery powered fan <laughs> <laughs> you know what that's not a bad idea <laughs> someone someone would buy that <laughs> you, you can have that royalty free <laughs> <laughs> So, Stacy, on the uh, the Mark II series, are you guys have you or will you? Do you think move into a pistol variant of that? Um, we are exploring that. Is the the 308 as a pistol platform? Uh, is that you know independent of the you know brace SBR? Uh, uh, I guess that's a workaround that you have there. Um, other than that, is, is there any reason to have a pistol 308? Does it fill a niche or, uh, is there a, an industry desire for it? Or is it just once again addressing those guys that want a pistol length upper on a non NFA lower? Well, what's funny is I have a lot of non-NFA pistol buyers that become SBR owners, either because they registered that pistol as an SBR or because it's kind of the gateway drug to the next rifle they buy, which is an SBR. Right. Um, this, the, the brace is what it is. Uh, to me, it's been a boon for our demand of pistols from our product line. Um, to the market in general, you know, there's a lot of debate whether it, it actually hurts the NFA uh, market, you know, the NFA industry. Um, personally, I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen, I haven't seen this, this decrease of SBR sales and increase of pistol sales. What I've seen is SBR sales and then just a, you know, instead of pistol sales being way down here, now they're about equal. So it hasn't been a give or take on it. It's just been pistols went from being a non-item to being an item in demand. And then SBRs have stayed very constant, which is, you know, SBRs were a pretty significant portion of our of our uh, uh, shipped product in, in 2013, and, and they maintain that all the way into 2014 as well. Hence why I try to keep track of the processing times on the forms as closely as possible. <laughs> all right. So, But the going back to your question about, you know, the, the demand for a 308 pistol, um, I think the demand is there, but I think it's there's just not that many of them out there. I mean, there's there's one that I can think of right now, and that's it, which is the 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 Sig 308 pistol. Right. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. If there's any others out there, but I, I think it's I think it's possibly one of those items that that once there's two or three offerings out there, then then people are gonna start to get excited about it. Well, look at 308 rifles. I mean, what was it three years ago? All of a sudden, 308 rifles, everybody wanted one. Right. And you know, it was because that year before you started to see a lot more 308s. You had you had the SIG come out. You had our gun come out. You had the uh, the SCAR Heavy came out. You know, I mean, there were just all these great 308s hitting the market. And and I think that uh, really just kind of sometimes the level and availability of the product drives demand. And other times 
the market reacts to the demand that's already there. There's just no products made for it. I think this might be a situation where if the mark, if the industry builds it, then the market will be there for it in the case of a 308 pistol. Nice. I don't know if I'd want to shoot one of those. That would seem to me uh, to be a little uh, tough uh, on you if it was in a, a short-barreled configuration. Oh, yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there will be, if it comes to fruition, there will be a video of me trying to fire that thing, and it will probably be pretty entertaining. <laughs> well, Stacy, is there something in your line that we haven't talked on that you would be real thrilled to tell us about? Uh, just that, uh, you know, very blessed to uh, work for the company I work for, Primary Weapon Systems. You know, I, I was full-time employee number five, so I've been here from the ground floor up, and it's it's been amazing to uh, to see this company grow and and the the people that it's that it's gathered under its roof roof has been uh, absolutely um, amazing to watch and and be a part of and so yeah I just guess uh, uh, given given what we do and and the industry that we're in that we're just uh, we're just very fortunate to have the team together here that we do and uh, and to be able to uh, to talk about it with uh, with folks like you. Well, thank you very much. Um, well, with that, I think uh, I've, I've got a couple of self-serving questions, if you uh, have a minute for us, Stacy. Absolutely. So Steve and I, of course, we've been doing our SBR project builds, and, and Steve has uh, abandoned me to my shop and, and my own fumbling efforts. Uh, but since I'm going <laughs> to uh, sit here and talk with uh, SBR uh, upper experts here, tell me, in the 300 blackout, is there in those shorter barreled uh, uppers? I, I think you alluded to this. Is is there a, a point at which it doesn't matter whether you've got adjustable gas on those? In the three hundred blackout, what we found is it really doesn't matter what barrel length you're dealing with. The, the adjustable gas system is just kind of a, a non-item. You don't need it, and okay. it'll probably disappear from our twelve and sixteen model within the next year just because it's just not necessary. They all use the same pistol length gas system and you know the 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 nine point seven five has definitely been the more popular three hundred blackout item we produce for last uh for last two quarters. Um you know before that the sixteen was a little bit more popular for some reason and then all of a sudden the nine has come on real heavy and, and we've kind of seen a similar thing between the Mark One and the Mark Twos. Mark twos were real quiet as of late, and then all of a sudden we uh, oversold our our uh, uh, October production by twofold, and and we had to scramble to catch up catch up for it in November. So it's just you never know what what item is going to be in high demand for a month to month, and you know that's why we, we try to make such an expansive product line that kind of covers everything. Right. Um, but in the in the 300 blackout market, definitely it seems that shorter is better. So the the 9.75 would would definitely be the one that I would take a, a good good long hard look at as far as uh as far as a, a 300 blackout build for yourself now you talked about um gassing with and without a suppressor and the difference between like your 110 125 uh grain bullets on the non-suppressed side to your subsonics on the suppressed side and i think you were alluding to a gassing effect but we didn't really jump into that can you tell me do you, do you recall uh, what it was you were talking about what is that effect what is happening between those two extremes when you take off the suppressor or add it to the uh, the rifle sure um we're comparing 
full power to subsonic or full power to 147 grain full power? Well, let's say full power to subsonic. Okay. So with with subsonic, you've just got such a you've, you've got much more bullet and you've got much less gas. Right. So as that bullet travels down the bore and the gas pressurizes our piston or travels down a DI system to a bolt, there's just a lot less of it and there's a lot less force generated from it. And as a result, without a suppressor, you might not have enough force built up in order to operate the action where you add a suppressor to that subsonic round because that's really what it was designed for was suppressor use. And now you have enough back pressure from that suppressor to cycle, cycle a DI action or, or a, uh, a PWS log stroke piston driven action. Um, you know, so there's, there's situations where it won't. Is, is that just mean that you've got, you're leaving the gas in the system long enough? Well, it looks like I think we've lost them. Uh oh. Well, I think we have enough for an interview, but there he comes back. Oh, sorry guys, had a bit of a technical issue there. That's all right. We thought we lost you. And so, nothing would be touching a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the question I had was, so as the bullet's leaving the, the, the muzzle and it enters that suppressor, those extra few moments where that gas isn't just generally dispersing or allowing it to feed into your gas port and drive whatever, uh, cycling mechanism you have in play, right? Yes, and, and with the subsonics, it's literally a puff of gas. Uh, with the supersonics, it's more of the kind of gas volume you would see from a 762 by 39. So there's a lot more, there's a lot more force with that gas. Right. Um, but with the subsonics, they're just not much. And you, you literally, in a lot of cases, need that suppressor to supply the, the additional pressure and force necessary to operate an action. So in, uh, same, go ahead. Uh, same thing with the 147 grain. 147 grain and a 150 grain can be loaded to a, a supersonic speed. Um, but once again, the gas that's coming from the cartridge is relatively a puff versus a blast. And so that can create cycling issues without a suppressor. Um, once again, you know, if, if you're running 147 grain to 220 grain with a suppressor, you're going to be a happy camper. If you're trying to run it without, you may or may not be having full 100% function of the firearm. All right. Well, I think that really kind of clarifies that point for me. Steve, okay. do you have any questions? Uh, no. Where can our listeners go to find out more information about you guys? Uh, primaryweapons.com. Um, as far as, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys do any kind of cross-promotion of other media outlets, um, but, uh, you know, Harris Publications has done a lot of articles on our stuff, and they have uh, they have either the full article or snippets archived at uh, uh, Harris uh, dash tactical, I'm sorry, tactical dash life.com. Um, so, you know, if anybody wanted to see some independent reviews and tests of our products, yeah. that's a great place to go and, and just search PWS and our, all the articles come up on that, on that webpage. But, uh, definitely the website's our main, our main source of, uh, of, uh, information. And, uh, other than that, it's just, uh, Googling various forum posts that have been done over the last few years and, Getting some great uh, independent information that way. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I I, uh, I can really appreciate uh, y'all's website. You have a lot of, and there's there's a lot of pictures on there, which for uh, for guys like me, that makes things real easy to see. You know, it's one thing to describe, you know, what your bolt carrier looks like versus a standard carrier, but you guys also do a really good job that you show 
real detailed kind of macro pictures of of the differences between you know bolt carriers and gas systems and buffers and all that kind of stuff and i think that really helps hit your points home that you know it's like i said it's one thing to hear it and read it it's another thing to actually see it uh to see things uh, visually you know i think your website does a good job doing that nice well thank you i will uh pass that on to our our marketing staff and uh, and web design staff since they, they both wear the same hats. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. You know, and, you know, Reed and I definitely look forward to uh, meeting up with you guys in Vegas again this year. That's where we first met last year. And yeah, uh, uh, maybe we can cut out a little bit of time. We can do a floor interview with anything new you guys are introducing or just uh, just to say hi to the listeners. You know, we, we certainly look forward to that, seeing you guys in Vegas here in just a, just a few months, short yeah, months, really. Keep up on us. That's for sure. I'm sure you guys are uh, are going to be slammed going into that too. Yes. Yeah. So far, it's been uh, it's it's been it's been a really great fall. You know, it's it's nice to see the market kind of waking back up because it's it uh, was doom and gloom from a lot of folks there for a while. You know, I'd I'd be sad after talking to to some of my dealers, and it's you know it's uh, steadily been improving. So that's great. And our our brand awareness seems to be really taking off because we have a lot of new dealers across the country. Um, trying to pick us up as a vendor instead of uh, instead of just going to uh, uh, distributors or or you know w- other sources of distribution that you might have, they're they're seeking us out directly, which is kind of nice. Um, so yeah, it's been uh, been a real good summer for that. It's uh, one of those things where yeah, so many people contact you, sometimes you can't get to them all. So we're we're trying to do a better job of that as well. Good. Well, good to hear. Well, thanks for your time, Stacy. We, re- we really appreciate uh, everything you and uh, your coworkers do over there at PWS for the uh, for the entire AR market. Well, thank you, and definitely thanks for having us on. We always appreciate it. Sure, absolutely, anytime. Well, I tell you what, it's always a uh a pleasure to get a chance to uh, get back on uh, online with uh, Steve and uh, put together another podcast. Uh, he adds a really nice perspective to everything we do. And, of course, we uh, miss his contributions a great deal, but obviously uh, we all have to uh, uh, make whatever sacrifices we can to uh, get on here, and sometimes we just can't swing it as often as we'd like. So thanks again, Steve. That was a great interview. Um, I guess in closing tonight, I want to remind everyone that we have an AR-15 giveaway winner by the name of John Wind, and John has not responded to any of our podcast uh, calls or any of our emails, letting him know that he is the winner of the AR-15 rifle giveaway. So, you all know what that means. Uh, that means that next week we will be announcing a new winner if John Wynn does not have an opportunity or take the uh, opportunity to talk to us by January 8th. So once again, uh, we may be up to our third place winner. I'll bet Miss America never had to dig this deep for someone to walk away with the prize. But hey, uh, it is what it is. And with that, let's move into some feedback. You know, now that we've kind of uh, established our uh, social media foothold out there, uh, we're getting some interactions with a lot of our good listeners. So uh, we're going to start off with a, kind of a review of uh, some of the things that have happened in the last week. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, 
some of the things that have happened last week uh, from Facebook. So uh, Samuel L. wrote in, uh, what did Santa bring you? So we want to encourage you to either head on over to Facebook and uh, uh, add your contribution to Sam's question, or go ahead and send in uh, some of your feedback uh, and let us know what Santa brought you. Now, we're talking about things firearms-related, of course. So, uh, let's see. Uh, Josh uh, submitted a picture of a young woman holding her AR at the range, and uh, his comment was that the girl is getting better. Well, Josh, in my experience, most of the women I know shoot better than I do already. So, uh, let's see. Jesse C. Uh, made some contributions. Uh said his son is home on leave, so he, we went to the range today. And here we have uh, what appears to be a fine young Marine. He's wearing the Eagle Globe and anchor on his cap, and he appears to be having some good times out there at the range. But Jesse C. also uh, gave us uh, some pictures of his two rifles. So uh, I'd encourage you to come on over to the uh, show notes or go on over to Facebook so that you can see the uh, uh, two rifles that uh, Jesse C. took pictures of and uh, some of the other contributions made by our uh, devoted listeners. So uh, now I'm going to move into some of our email feedback. Uh, Roger T. from Burlington, North Carolina wrote in. He says, hello, I can't remember the exact episode, but a while back you guys had a listener right in talking about how their AR buffer is getting chewed up. A lot of folks assume it's the pin that retains the buffer that chews up the buffer. However, if you pay close attention while attaching the upper and lower receiver, you'll see that the bolt carrier group pushes the buffer back in the tube. Also, the bolt carrier has a keyway cut for clearance of that buffer retaining pin. And one of my ARs and the small number of M16s I've seen, this chewed up buffer problem, Huh. Oh, I see. In a number of ARs and in a small number of M16s, he's seen this chewed up buffer problem. So he says, unless your lower is out of spec, the buffer retaining pin is only used to keep the buffer in place. Every time I've encountered this problem, it's been a burr left on the back of the bolt carrier keyway during the machining process. So he suggests that simply to deburr the area and then replace the buffer and carrier uh, on uh, the rifle will allow you to function without any more issues. So he says, I'm not saying that this is the listener's problem, but it's somewhere to look. He says he's a huge fan of the show, and he loved the Marine Christmas poem. Roger, thank you for writing in. I do appreciate the contribution, and I will try to figure out which episode that was. My uh, archivist is not in uh, attendance tonight, so we've given him the, the night off. But uh, I'll get Anthony looking for that as soon as we can. So our next piece of feedback is from M. Chan, who writes in, Hey guys, great show this week. I'm just getting into 3Gun and found the interview to be very helpful. I'm writing to see if you would be willing to do a show on muzzle brakes. There are so many options at a wide range of prices, and it's hard to distinguish the wheat from the chaff. Thanks. Well, M., we are headed that direction. We have taken note of several requests for muzzle brakes, and we're going to be putting that in the lineup as soon as we get back from shot. So hopefully, I'll have an opportunity to talk to a number of vendors and see what they have to say about the very topic you're asking me about. So finally, uh, Arturo writes in. He says, uh, hi, Reed. While it's shot, uh, I hope you have time to check out the new G2 line of 308 rifles from DPMS. It looks to be a really great evolution of the AR-10 style rifle. 
Well, I want to let you know that uh, the uh, DPMS guys uh, reached out to me a couple months ago, and uh, I think, of course, with the shuffle over there, uh, with the, their parent uh, equity holding entity, uh, it's been a little difficult to figure out who's on first. But, you know, I think uh, I will be uh, taking an opportunity to give the new DPS line a view and uh, uh, evaluate it and kind of see what takeaways I can come come up with. So at this point, I guess that's covered pretty much all of our content for the night. I want to let you know that we are trying to get an interview in place for next week. I think it's going to be exciting. It's a uh, and uh, it's a guest that we've had on the show before, and uh, I think they'll have some great things to contribute. But certainly, we are gearing up uh, at a time uh, when it uh, is a little difficult to not only pack and plan and prepare for a shot, but to actually get a show uh, under our belts. So I want to let you know to bear with us. Uh, at this point, we don't know whether we are going to have an episode on the 19th. However, we are going to shoot for production on that night. It will probably just be uh, Anthony having the weight of the entire show dumped on his shoulders. So uh, just bear with us and uh, uh, give Anthony a little bit of grace since uh, uh, we're all going to be uh, getting ready to hop on planes and head to Vegas. So with that... Uh, I think that's going to be the close of our show tonight. But I want to remind you that you can send us any questions or comments to feedback at ar15podcast.com. You can also send us a recorded voicemail by using the SpeakPipe plugin on the right-hand side of the AR15 Podcast website. We invite you to subscribe and listen to the AR15 Podcast for free on iTunes or on Stitcher. And please, leave us a review so the show can be placed higher in the searches for potential listeners. Next, we want to invite you to share your pictures with us on our Flickr group at flickr.com forward slash groups forward slash black rifle. Or you can follow us on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash air 15 podcast and tag your pictures with at air 15 podcast. Well, I guess that's hashtag. I am so inadequate in the social media realm. I wish Anthony was here. Anyway, uh, follow us on G Plus to watch us live at uh, plus.google.com plus AR15 podcast. Check out our YouTube page at youtube.com forward slash C for channel forward slash AR15 podcast. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash AR15 podcast. And check out the other great podcasts on the Firearms Radio Network. Uh, don't forget to use our Brownells affiliate link for all of your AR-15 parts. Uh, and you can go to www.ar15podcast.com forward slash parts for all of those links. And use the Amazon affiliate link on the firearmsradio.tv and ar15podcast.com websites or go to firearmsradio.tv forward slash Amazon. So with that, another cold, bitter, cold night is going to be uh, coming to an end. We want to remind you to have a good uh, beginning of the year. Have a prosperous 2015. We hope to get you some great content in the coming year. And have a good night.
Tired of paying high ammo prices? Want more bang for your buck? Need high volume or precision loads? The Reloading Podcast has you covered. From single stage to progressive, the Reloading Podcast has something for everyone. For those who have never pulled a lever, now's the time to start reloading your own cartridges. For those with gunpowder coating your workbench floor, now's the time to take your loads to the next level. ReloadingPodcast.com or search Reloading Podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher app. This has been a production of the Firearms Radio Network. You can find more information at FirearmsRadio.tv.